Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You've found us at www.dredhill.podbean.com, the home of This Week in the Word. Today is the episode for Sunday, September 11, 2022. It's entitled, Telling Time for Beginners, Stunning Synchronicity. How's that for a title, right? (laughs) Say that quickly about seven times, Stunning Synchronicity. Well, the events are everywhere around us. There's an astounding alignment of events creating a stunning synchronicity where where things are predicted to happen in the Bible, predicted to happen in the future of the world, we can see them starting to occur, at least the initial stages. They're falling into sync as we would expect for the last days to come about. There's so many of them, it's almost like a congressman said about spending money on behalf of the federal government. Spend a million here and a million there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. (laughs) That's exactly how the government thinks about spending. Well, we are seeing around us today many, many events happening. And we're going to talk today about events in the world and evidence in the Word relating to the predictions of the Bible about the future. And we've talked about that for, I think, almost three months now in this series entitled Telling Time for Beginners. And I know that's an odd series title. Let me explain what it means, though, is this is the first time you've listened. If you can remember when you tried to learn how to tell time as a kid, possibly you're old enough that you were given a, a wristwatch or a an alarm clock or the clock on the stove or something like that to try to tell time from. And you had the big hand and the little hand and all of that. And it was a big mystery until it just clicked into place. And from then on, there was no way you couldn't tell time. That's what we're talking about today. Now, I know for you millennial types, you're saying, of course I can tell time. I just look at the digital display and it says that it's 3.53. Well, that's not what we're talking about. That's cheating, in fact. (laughs) You haven't lived until you've learned to try to tell time on some type of clock face, you know, uh, analog, let's say, that has Roman numerals on it. And and you have to figure out, A, what do the Roman numerals mean? And B, what is all this big hand and little hand business? That's for real men and real men, women, the way I learned, you know, when I was growing up. That's how we learn to tell time. You millennials, you've got it too easy. <laughs> well, let's talk today first about events in the world. We're going to read part of what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 24. We're only going to read verses 3 through 8, although I personally think you should read the entire chapter, Matthew 24, and also Matthew chapter 25. But let's just look at verses 3 through 8 in Matthew 24. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming 
and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, Jesus said there that phrase, when you see all these things, and we saw what he mentioned, things, for example, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, you know, pretty much life as it goes on on a daily basis in the world, but increasingly so like that. In the Greek, I looked this up, and right there where he says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, that phrase, the beginning of sorrows, is archaeoden in Greek. And you know what it means? This is neat. It means the start of birth pangs. Now, my wife and I have six children. My wife gave birth to six children. And I saw this in real time. Birth pangs are real. At first, you know, it's like, uh-oh, something may be going on pretty soon. It's like, you find that anesthesiologist. I need help for this pain. That's almost a direct quote from my wife. <laughs> so Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. That is the start of birth pangs. That's literally what that means in Greek. Now, let me put it this way shortly before the Lord returns, and, and I'm talking about the, the whole thing of the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ, but the rapture of the church, which occurs according to the Bible, before the tribulation begins. We don't know exactly when, but it's prior to that, and we could discuss that, and we have in other episodes a series on this week in the Word. So if you don't see it that way, you just need to study more. But anyway, what we should be expecting as we approach those last events before all of that is a rapid succession of events like labor pains, increasing in rapidity and in intensity until a baby is born. I mean, that's what we think of when our wives, and many of you listening are, are mothers. I mean, you can certainly identify with your experience. That's what we expect before a baby is born, is that rapidity increasing of the labor pains and the intensity of the pain until the delivery occurs. You know, I talk like I'm an expert on that, right? But you mothers know 
far more than I would ever know, you know that what I'm saying is, yep, that's exactly right. It's like tsunami upon tsunami of events. Now, I can say this. As of September 11, 2022, I can say that events are happening all around the world that sure look to me like the beginning of those predicted in Scripture. Now, I've been studying Bible prophecy to one degree or another since I became a Christian. I became a Christian during that phase of time in the world, especially in the United States, called the Jesus People uh, Movement, the, the Jesus People. Now, I wasn't a hippie, and I didn't live in California, but I was saved during that time. And during that time in the early 70s, due to Israel and world events surrounding Israel and all of that, the, the church at large was highly aware of Bible prophecy. And that's almost been erased but in the, the spiritual generation which I was born, immediately there was an interest on my part, just like many at that time, most at that time, in where is the world going? So I've been studying Bible prophecy to one degree or another since June 1973 when I became a Christian at the age of 16. I think although there are a lot of people who know way more than I do. Trust me on that. I think that we could agree that I might be some kind of an expert on this because I didn't just start studying it yesterday. And I've, I've really gotten into details about this over the years, and especially in the last two years, two to three years or so. Now, the kind of events that the Lord talked about and that we see in Scripture are happening in multiples almost daily. Maybe not every day, but certainly weekly. And they're happening in multiples so fast that it's hard for one person like me to even keep up with everything that's happening. And the pace is quickening Many others have noticed this as well. I'm going to give you some examples, and I don't even have time to explain all of these, but just you have to take this on faith, and then you go study it yourself, and probably you're going to go like, I, I kind of see what you're saying. I'll give you an example. Did you know, and when I say what I'm going to say, I know what many of you are going to say. You're going to say, there we go, another conspiracy theory. Well, you can say that, but until you research it, you won't know. You won't know what's happening until it's too late. But this has actually been in the news, on the news. Even if you don't know about it, this has been in the news, and you can go look it up. In Canada... They are currently building and, and recruiting for uh, employment in what you could call climate crimes jails. Oh, come on, Pastor Ed. I know this sounds crazy. 
It is crazy, but this is actually happening. And the idea is, is that farmers in Canada, if they won't follow the, the climate laws, the global government is, is already starting to pass, and, and certainly the real global government will pass and enforce, like using too much fertilizer and too much water and all of that, that, that those farmers are just going to have to be dealt with. And so they are building facilities where people, farmers specifically, who are arrested for violating the climate laws and are accused of climate crimes. Can you even imagine a phrase like that before the last year or so? No! That phrase has never existed in world history. But Canada is building facilities so they can prosecute people who don't do what the Canadian government and increasingly the global government says must be done relating to not using too much fertilizers, not having too many cows who emit methane, we're not going into that, and, uh, and too much water and all of this. They have to be dealt with. They're destroying the world. And I know that sounds nuts. I dare you to use that search phrase, climate jails, climate crimes, um, climate violators, Canada, that kind of thing. It, it won't be hard to find examples of that. And you know who's leading that? Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada. He's not playing about this. He's serious. Then we think this week Queen Elizabeth died. Guess what? The queen is dead. The queen is dead. Long live the king, King Charles. Say, that's so what? Now, I'm not into all the royal family drama, but this is what we're talking about here. King Charles is definitely, he is Justin Trudeau in overdrive in terms of what he believes about the climate and how this has got to be dealt with or we're all going to die. So he thinks that government, specifically a global government, needs to be put in place to take charge of this and enforce all these climate laws. Oh, we're all going to die from rising sea levels and global heat and all of that kind of stuff like that there. I'm not making that up. I mean, he is like a legend among the uh, climate crisis government types, all right? Well, now he's king of England and king of the British Empire and all of that. Then there's the collapse of civilization. Oh, come on, Pastor Ed, that's ridiculous. Even if you don't know it, the ability to manufacture metals like steel and iron are collapsing in Europe. The ability to produce and use fertilizer to grow food is collapsing around the world. You've heard, I'm sure, about supply chain issues, right? Well, all of this is starting to have effects that will not be easily, if ever, by, by people reversed. The Lord can reverse it, of course, but on the path we're on, people are not about to. 
I mean, yeah, the citizens of the world would, but the government types of the world won't. There is a, a very strong push on, over the last few months, a push for a, a cashless economy. That is, to get rid of currency and coinage that it's just, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's just like Confederate dollars. It's nothing. Because now that's worthless, you know, once this happens. And all money will be digital. Well, guess what? When, when I'm given a paycheck and I cash it, I have my money. I can decide what to do with it, right? But when it's digital, there really isn't any money. It's only there on a screen or in, in theory on a paper ledger, like a uh, bookkeeping, accounting type ledger, but, you know, digital, of course. But, but now I don't have control over that. Whoever controls that digital world has control over it. And they don't like what I think or don't think or do or don't do. I can be deleted. That is, my ability to, to buy and sell can be gone immediately. And if I don't play the government's game, um, I can be on the outside looking in. Now, just think about that. That's never been possible until now in world history. And the governments of the world, including our current administration in the United States, thinks that a digital economy would be a really cool thing because it gives more control. And I've talked about this a little bit in, in relation to Revelation 13. I'm not going into detail here, but there is that push for digital currency because of the control that it will give government types over the poor people being us of the world. And there is a, a war relating to that on Bitcoin. And not just Bitcoin, uh, literally just Bitcoin, but any type of digital currency. And the push is on for, listen, CBDC. What is that, Pastor Ed? Well, you better learn that phrase. That means a central bank digital currency. For example, the Bank of England might issue a digital currency. The Bank of China might do the same thing. The Federal Reserve in the United States might have its own central bank digital currency. So you can see where this is going. Now, when you think back about the Canada climate crimes facilities to arrest and interrogate and jail people. Um, that sounds so ridiculous, but it's actually being put into place. They're getting ready for that or something beyond that. Let me tell you something you need to know. Now, if you're, if you're honestly ignorant of history, shame on you. But this, I, I might not expect you to know because it it wouldn't be something a lot of people would know. But you remember good old Nazi Germany, right? I say that mockingly. Nazi Germany set up their first concentration camp, listen, 
They set it up under the idea for the Jewish people as for their safety. Let that sink in. Then it was like, oh, well, you know, while you're here, then you're also going to make stuff for the war effort. So it went from the camps being set up for the Jewish people in Germany for their own safety to, okay, well, you're also here to perform labor. And finally, the final solution, the ultimate solution of the Nazis was it went from camps for the safety of the Jewish people to force labor from the Jewish people to the death of the Jewish people. So come on, that couldn't happen. Things like this by government have occurred multiple times in the 20th century. The killing fields in Cambodia, the regimes of the Soviets over Russia. Why do you think there was an Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Look him up. It happened, has happened, and is still happening. Um, somebody told me recently who knows about this stuff, you probably already know this, that a lot of the athletic shoes bought that we buy today are made in China, and a lot of them are made with slave labor. This is not a secret. So if you say, come on, this is a 21st century, that couldn't happen. It's already going on. It's been going on for a long, long time. We have just closed a blind eye to that. But if you think about it, for governments that want real control, I mean, not playing around control, that makes complete sense. I don't think it's right, but it makes sense. Now, here's one for you that I bet when I say this, you're going to think this dude is loopy. But when I see a, what I'm about to say, you're probably going to go like, is this real? This is a comedy thing, right? No, it's not. This is serious. There has been over the last about one year, maybe a little longer, 18 months, there has been an amazing string of coincidental fires and explosions at food facilities, storage facilities, manufacturing facilities, distribution facilities, and of course, fertilizer facilities because you have to have massive amounts of fertilizer to have mass food production, right? To feed the world. We're talking about nearly 9 billion people. There's been an amazing coincidental string of fires and explosions at food facilities. That's real. Now, you may not attribute it to what I'm talking about, but it is a fact. I mean, like, there's never been this many explosions and fires at food facilities in, in one short amount of time in world history. But all of a sudden, it's like every time you turn around, another fertilizer plant is going up in flames or a food processing facility is being burnt to the ground. This is real. Now, whatever could that be? Well, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd say it's a war on food.
That's what I would say. Let's say that I came to planet Earth and I didn't know anything about Bible prophecy, but I knew a lot about war. I'd say, well, you know, one or two or 20 of those a year. All right. But I forgot the number, but recently I heard the latest number and it's something like 118 of these and probably more now. But at that time, it's about 118 of these have occurred and many of them in the United States and the, the uh, so-called civilized world. If I didn't know anything about Bible prophecy and, and you asked me to analyze it, I would say it's either criminal activity or it's, it's war on food, one or the other. I mean, this cannot happen coincidentally this many times in this short a space of time. You may not agree but one day, if you don't have enough food to eat, it might dawn on you. So there's evidence in the world, whether we see it or not. And secondly, the stunning synchronicity, there's an evidence in the Word. That is the Word of God, the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Apostle Peter says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He's talking about the return of the Lord there. What is Peter talking about? Well, you know, we can look around and see these events in the news and world history, the, the events in the world, but Peter says, even, even stronger than that is the evidence in the word. We have a more sure word of prophecy. That is, we, we have possession of this, is what the Greek means. We, we have this like evidence for a crime uh, in a criminal proceeding. We, we are in possession of, like if the, the police said they have evidence relating to a crime. That idea, that's the idea. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He's talking about Bible prophecy uh, from the Old Testament and what had been written at that point in the New Testament. Whereunto, well, what do we do with that? Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. That is, pay attention to that. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. That word dark place means a, a very dark, uh, dingy, gloomy, dark, filthy place. Imagine being in a place like that. That's what the world's starting to feel like to me. But this Bible prophecy is like, I like the fact that when I get up at night, there's a light, you know, a nightlight on somewhere, not because I'm afraid of the dark, it's because I don't want to run into something and get hurt, right? So that same idea, we're, we're in this world now, this world system, we're in a very dark place, people. That's true. Even if you blow it off, and I think many of you listening don't, you get it, but it's starting to dawn on some of you just how dark a place we're really in. We're in a very dark place. By the way, food and using food is a well-known weapon of war historically. 
If you want to win a war fast, starve, literally starve your enemy. And I think that's what's going on. But if we feel like we're in a very dark place, thankfully we have that nightlight of the of Bible prophecy. So we can understand what's going on in our space and time where we are right now. And that gets us to until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts when the Lord comes back. Amen. The Bible will see us through. You know what's sad today, though? Almost no preachers preach anymore on the rapture of the church. If they do, they're uh, very, uh, what is the word, vague about it. And they don't really get into it very deep. And, you know, who knows when it's going to happen. They don't really know, a lot of them, very much about Bible prophecy anymore. And, you know, if I was the enemy, if I was Satan, that's something I would do to my enemy, the Christians. You know, one of the rules of war is as fast as you can, you want to blind your enemy. That's why... In the, the war against Iraq, one of the first things that happened is they were blinded. Their ability to see us operate or hear us operate was immediately removed. They were completely blind and deaf, and they were easy to invade. That's how you conduct modern warfare on the ground and in the air. Well, Satan, I think, has done that to the church. Most pastors, the truth be known, are afraid of prophecy. They don't understand it, or they don't believe it's what it obviously is, and they steer away from it. They don't want to upset anybody. They, they don't deal with it at all. Most Christians, this pains my heart to say this, coming out of the Jesus people era, most Christians are completely ignorant about Bible prophecy. And we're living right in the middle of things the Bible predicted. Like, we, we don't just see one thing happen. Like, well, that may be it. That may not. We're seeing lots of things happening at the same time, a stunning synchronicity where even the dullest among us ought to say, wait a minute, something is going on here. That's exactly right. And Peter says we're to pay attention to Bible prophecy, not ignore it. Because it is like that nightlight shining in a very dark, filthy place until the Lord comes back. So we have the evidence in the Word, but here's something that I found out more fully this week that I, I never really understood. This is so exciting to me. Listen, we also have evidence in the Word, but in, in a different way, from books that believe the Bible. What am I talking about? Well, for example, did you know that for centuries after their deaths, ancients had access to the testimonies like a will, a uh, will and testimony, that kind of thing, like we write today, after we die, this is what I want done you know, with my estate, and this is what I wish for my family, and all of that. Well, in fact, it's that, it's that exact thing. It's the idea of like a uh, setting up an estate, a legal document that would be 
that would follow their death so that everyone would know what to do. Adam had one. Enoch had one. Noah most likely had one. He probably carried with him into the ark the wills and testimonies, the prophecies, if you will, of people like Adam and Enoch and his own, of course. After Noah and God chose Abraham, Abraham no doubt had something like this. Job no doubt had something like this. And do you know, for example, the the book of Enoch, it is not a Bible book. It is not inspired. That is, uh, God breathed like a Bible book is, but Enoch lived for 365 years, and the Bible says in Genesis, and he was not, for God took him. Now, when you read that, if you don't know what you're reading, you'll think, okay, he died. Incorrect. In the list where his name appears is he lived, this guy lived X number of years and he died. Then this guy lived X number of years and he died. And then right in the middle of that, without explanation, Enoch is there and it says he lives 365 years and he was not for God took him. He didn't die. He was raptured. You can bet that if he left a will and testimony, Noah took that with him into the ark. I mean, this is an important guy, right? Well, many believe that the book of Enoch found, and I'm going to tell you uh, where it was found, but it was found, Enoch lays out the kind of things that we see now in Bible prophecy, and we're starting to see come about. And these were written just like somebody would write a will and testimony today, for after their death, these were written and known for centuries after their deaths because they were passed down because they predicted the future for their family's safety and own good. Now, I never encountered this information until this week. And I'm going to tell you where you can learn more about this. In fact, I actually put a YouTube link in the description on drredhill.podbean.com. I'm seeing this by faith. I haven't done it yet. But in that description, I'm going to put the YouTube link and you can watch Ken Johnson explain the mystery of the Essenes from that link. And he does a way better job than I'm doing it right now. I feel like I'm messing this up. But you can listen to his video and even get his book where he breaks all this out. Now, who are these Essenes? Like, wait. There's more. <laughs> All right. And Qumran, which is northwest of the Dead Sea, I think it's called Kala now, and it's what's so-called the West Bank area now. But Israel has control of it. They have a national park of Qumran for real. Look it up. But one day in 1947, a young shepherd boy, a Bedouin, an Arab, was out about his father's business. He was shepherding the little sheep flock that his family owned. And he was in this area called Qumran, which was very arid, arid, uh, dry, desert area with caves in it. And like little kids are want to do, he picked up a stone and he threw it into the opening of a, of a cave. 
Then he heard, now this is in 1947, this day when he did it, he heard the ping of breaking pottery. And it turned out to be a pottery that was a storage, there was a lot of them, but these were pottery storage vessels with ancient writings stored in them. And this discovery, when it was shown to antiquities dealers, rocked the world of archaeology and theology. Because without knowing what he found, this little shepherd boy found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now today, many uninformed people say, oh, well, you know, what do you think about the Bible? And then, and then compared to the Dead Sea Scrolls, I say, spot on, baby. <laughs> the Dead Sea Scrolls back up the Bible like nobody's business. It's unbelievable. And these are certified ancient documents. They finally, once the antiquities dealers had them, some of them, I mean, there were many more they had to find in these caves. They took them to the University of, of Jerusalem, and they were, they were clearly about 2,000 years old almost. This is amazing. It's one of the most amazing finds of ancient writings ever to be found in world history anywhere. Now, what we found out more about, we knew about a group called the Essenes that were Jewish people who really, 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 really believed God's word. I mean, you know, we used to know about the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees at the time of Jesus were total religious hacks. They were just uh, po politicians in religion, they were in it for money and the prestige and power. Totally sad group. They didn't believe any of the Bible, really. I mean, they said they believed parts of it, but they really didn't. And they're just like a lot of people in the Christian religion today. A lot of people. And then there were the Pharisees, and we've often said, even I've said it, that they were the Bible-believing political religious party in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what has come to light to me even more is they kind of sort of were, but they kind of sort of weren't on a lot of things. And I was unaware of the many things that they did not believe. So you cannot say that the Sadducees and Pharisees, either one of them, were total Bible believers. The Sadducees weren't for sure. And the Pharisees were a mixed bag but they were better than the Sadducees. But the Essenes was the third group. The Essenes, let me put it like this. The Essenes were like modern-day Bible-believing prophecy watchers, like me and many others. They believed uh, two centuries before the Lord came the same things we believe today about the future of the world. Now, how did they know that? They got it from God. They got it from the book of Enoch and from the wills and testimonies of people like Adam and Noah and Abraham. And not only the, those written documents, but the oral traditions passed down for centuries through their families. This is amazing. Now, the Essenes, you know, let me tell you what they weren't into. 
If you remember the old uh, movie um, High Anxiety, <laughs> and now I can't even remember the guy's name who did that. I just, just forgot it. Mel Brooks. You remember that scene where the psychiatrists are all meeting at a convention and they're standing outside in a... Uh, I've only seen this scene once. They're standing outside this facility they're at and they're greeting each other. <laughs> and they say, doctor, 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 and they're shaking hands. The Essenes weren't into that. They didn't care who had a doctorate, all right? The Essenes believed God. They believed God, and they did not live in that echo chamber of biblical unbelief that so many highly educated but clueless religious types live in. The Essenes says, no way. If God says there's going to be a tribulation one day, there's going to be one. If God says there's going to be a resurrection, there's going to be a real one. If God says the Messiah is coming, he's really coming. And if God says there's a second coming, <laughs> that Messiah is coming the second time. They did not live in that echo chamber of biblical unbelief. And guess what? Their writings, now listen carefully, listen right here. Their writings predicted the exact day and date that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem about, not quite, but almost 200 years, two centuries. We're talking about B.C., before Christ. Before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they predicted the exact day and date that he would do so. And if the Pharisees and the Sadducees had listened to the Essenes as Bible-believing, very serious, godly people who lived in these caves because they were obviously not welcome in Jewish society by either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. If they had listened to them and the writings through the wills and testaments of Adam and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and all of those, then they would have known, and they should have known. But they discounted all of that. They just, they just uh, thought, yeah, there's nothing to this. And they, they were completely ignorant of the exact day and date that the Messiah would show up to Jerusalem. Now, friends, that is stunning information. Can I explain it? No. That's where you're going to have to watch the video by Ken Johnson, which is free, and if you want to, you can, you can get his book and read it in greater detail. But the Essenes predicted the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on exact day and date. They predicted what is known today as the rapture of the church because of what happened to Enoch. They predicted what we would call the tribulation. They predicted the second coming and they predicted a real, actual, literal 1,000-year reign of Messiah on the earth from Jerusalem that we as Bible-believing prophecy watchers know is going to happen today. That's stunning. This is the true truth that has always been known ever since Adam and Eve fell and then they predicted the future on, for the safety of their families 
on down through these godly lines, and the Essenes had access to that information, and they believed it too. Now, I don't know if that hits you like it hit me this week. That is just amazing. I want to read to you a verse in the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22. Recently, I've been listening through the book of the Revelation at night, uh, several chapters a night, and I can't not tell you how many times I've listened to the entire book of the Revelation. I've been doing this probably for a couple of months. And in Revelation 22, verse 20, it says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, reread that again. Revelation 22, verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. So clearly we know Jesus, starting in chapter 1, is testifying the entire book of the Revelation about the future of the world to the Apostle John, right? We know that. So he testifies those things, and it says that he says, Surely I come quickly. So Jesus is saying that. You, you follow what I'm saying? Amen. And then John says in that verse, even so, come, Lord Jesus, welcoming him to return. You see that? Now, let's look at the phrase, I am coming, sh surely I come quickly in English. In Greek, it's I am coming soon. I am coming soon. But the Greek word, for the, uh, phrase, the Greek phrase, the word for the phrase I'm coming is erkamai. So he's coming. And he says, yes, nigh, N-A-I. I'm coming, erkamai. Nigh, erkamai, tachus. Soon. Does that word tachus ring a bell? Do any of you remember when we used to put tachometers on our hot rods? I never did that, but other people did that. So they would know the speed and on oh, many modern cars, they're, they're just part of the instrument panel now. You know, RPMs, okay? Tachus means speed. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am coming speedily. Now, many people read this and they say, well, it's been 2,000 years. How can he say that? Here's the idea, I think. It's like, when, when all of this starts happening, it's going to happen quick. I mean, with speed, with rapidity. So that's just amazing to me. He which testifies these things saith, surely I come quickly. With the idea of all that he has testified to in the entire book, from chapter 1 to chapter 22 in the book of the Revelation, he wants this message to be there. And I think it would be the same idea we've been talking about when all this starts to happen, which he said in Matthew 24. Then, then no, you know, let's see, I don't want to misquote that. Let's go back to what it said. Uh, 
all these things are the beginning of sorrows, right? So it's the idea that when we see these things happening, it's all going to be quick. My main message to you, the reason I brought up that passage, even though I felt like I just butchered it, sorry, the reason I bring that up is I think we are getting really close to the rapture of the church. I don't know when it's going to be, but with what I see, these things could happen pretty quick. And then the tribulation, which is seven years, and the Antichrist and all of that, and the return of Christ after those seven years and the millennial kingdom. So here's my question for you. Are you ready? If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, like the Essenes, then you're ready. You're expecting Jesus to come, even if you haven't been as observant as you, you could be. Hopefully this will help you. Amen. Help us warn people. But if you're not ready, it is time for you to get ready. You need to be saved. You need to be spirit-filled if you are saved. How do you get to the point where you can look forward to the rapture of the church? I want you to write a number down. I'm going to say it twice. I want you to call this number and speak with someone about how to become a Christian or if you are one, how to get, <clears throat> get your life so under the control of God that you can be used by him to warn others before it's too late. 877-247-2426. 877-247-2426. I want you to do that. I want you to be ready and I want you to help get others ready. That's my message today. And remember from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, I thank you for listening today. This has been a long episode. I trust that you feel that it is worth it. I want to invite you to listen again next week. If the Lord doesn't come first, I'll be back with the next episode. I want you to like this episode, follow the podcast, and share it with someone right now from where you're listening. Tell them that they can find This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.